the readings this morning are taken from Job chapter 1, which is page 490 in the Church Bibles. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine, At the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then our second reading is taken from Psalm 23, verse 533. Not verse, page 533. 
So Psalm 23, page 533. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be the word of God. Um, John is going to speak to us now, and uh, we just pray for him as he, he does that. Father, thank you for this, this time together, this opportunity to, to hear your word and to, to reflect on what you have to say to us. Lord, open our hearts up to hear the specific things that you need us to hear today. Um, let us be really open to you and to, to walk away from this place changed, encouraged and full of the, the hope and uh, the love of God. And we just pray for John as he speaks that you would, you would guide his, his words and his um, uh, things that he says to us that we uh, can just 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 be with him, Lord, and um, just be with us here as well. And just let us feel your presence and your spirit fall upon this place now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so today uh, we come to the third part of our series on uh, Ready to Resist. Uh, Two weeks ago, if you were here, Matthew uh, started our sermon series by reminding us that we live in a uh, spiritual realm as well as a physical realm here on earth. He reminded us that the victory was already won, that Jesus died on a cross. So we have nothing to fear because that victory has already been won. And last week, Chris came and preached to us and took us through the next part of our journey, you're ready to resist, exploring with us the armour of God, outlined in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And Chris encouraged us to daily put on that armour so that we were ready for the spiritual battle which we face on a daily basis. And so today we come to the third part of this series, and probably contextually, how does, it, how does it affect us on our, on our daily journey? The title of today's talk is When We Feel Alone or the Wilderness Experience. And no doubt all of us will have been in that place at some point. It might well be that you're in that place today. I uh, stopped to buy a newspaper this morning on the way to church just to see uh, how the world was hanging out. Um, I'm overpaid, I'm a public sector worker, apparently. Uh, but you'll find in the news today, uh, people who no doubt are in that difficult place with God. We've got an update on the, the Grenfell Tower disaster. We've got an update on the acid attacks that occurred in the last couple of days. There's lots in uh, the newspaper today about 
education, about government, about living in this world, and internationally, how we experience uh, pain and suffering uh, across the globe. And so today, the challenge for all of us, and I think it is a challenge, is how do we wrestle and uh, try and comprehend what's happening in the midst of that, and for ourselves individually, what it feels like uh, to be alone in the wilderness. So the way uh, we're going to explore that together today is looking at the two passages we've heard read. So we're going to take a line-by-line walk through Psalm 23, um, and then we're going to consider the story of Job. Uh, Lastly, we're going to conclude with how any of what we hear might be relevant to us today and in our own journey um, together. So I'd encourage you to uh, open up your Bibles again and turn to to Psalm 23, uh, a familiar passage which... Uh, no doubt we've all read lots of times. Um, and, uh, and we sing regularly in various different versions. And the clicker's gone off. So, so uh, as we walk through this, this passage, this short psalm that we see here, um, I'd encourage you to interpret this as a journey. Uh, this was a new way um, as I was uh, exploring getting ready for this, this talk um, and I read some various commentaries on the Bible of looking at Psalm 23. And you can definitely interpret it as a, a journey, um, a restoration from exile, a pilgrimage to a temple. Uh, and if you think about where this was written, where David would have written it inside Israel's geography, it's an understanding of what was happening around him, the seasons that changed in that land, uh, the agricultural cycle. Um, it takes on a different meaning um, I've experienced for this psalm. And what you can see is it's a journey that goes through three different stages. Uh, So if we start with the first stage and you look at um, verse number two, uh, what you find here is um, obviously lots of references to sheep and shepherds. um, And you find that in the the Judah Spring, uh, you would uh, have had land that looks like this. It would have been green, uh, water would have been flowing, Uh, it would have been uh, good for sheep. They would have been uh, 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 probably feeling their best in terms of uh, being able to uh, get fed and watered. And uh, you find that this is the the springtime, and as the summer comes across uh, Israel, it tends to become uh, more wilderness-like. So you start to see that the the springs uh, dry up, Uh, the grass becomes less plentiful. The pasture lands that were there uh, start to become a wilderness. And we see, if we think this this is a journey as we turn to verse 4, that that well-known verse that we we often use when we're considering uh, these topics, uh, that uh, the, the shepherd has moved the sheep into the Judean wilderness, has gone down into the ravines where it would have been dangerous, where you'd have found that there were animals preying on your sheep where it would have been dark. Uh, A descent in this geography and landscape into the Jordan Valley towards the Dead Sea. And maybe the question we don't often ask ourselves as we work through this psalm was why on earth would a shepherd lead the sheep down into the valley? Well, if we consider this as uh, a change in seasons, it starts to make sense. So... In the spring, when it's plentiful, when there's uh, water flowing, when there's lots of green grass, as it moves into the summer and it becomes arid, as you see here, actually the move down into the valley 
in, in what we see in Israel is about getting to the other side. It's about getting to autumn. Um, it's about moving uh, on the, the edge uh, of the eastern side from the Judea, Judean wilderness up into uh, an area um, where food and water would start to come again. And when we understand it in this context, you realise it's an integral part of the journey. And we see the end to this journey starts to occur in verse 5. And in verse 5, as outlined, is a feast. And it could well be it's the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, a a, a time when, uh, uh, in, in the Jewish calendar, they eat lots of food. We see that the pictures of oil flowing of wine flowing, of feasting in the house of God. And in this part of the psalm, there's a change from the shepherd uh, into the, the host. God becomes the host. And as we walk through these six verses, we realise that actually the sheep weren't wandering aimlessly, but God was taking them on a journey. A pilgrimage, if you like, from uh, the good springtimes into the valley so that they could emerge in the autumn to have this feast and so in psalm 23 we very much see a summing up of a cycle and the cycle could be described as being good being bad and then into a place that is better verse two is around uh, life as good as it gets for sheep they've got lots of food they've got lots of water Um, the baseline is set Verse 4 is the negative part, the bad part. Despite God being with them, his divine presence there, the shepherd leading them through, it doesn't feel nice. It's described as the valley of the shadow of death. And then we move into verse 5, we see that it is taken back to um, a different place. It doesn't go back to verse 2. We don't see the sheep returning to what was. We see life plus described in verse 5. It takes us from a a metaphor of sheep into a metaphor of us as humans being at that banquet table with God. It outlines that God is our sustainer and our life restorer that takes us from good to bad into better. And that idea of moving through those stages doesn't just appear here in Psalms. We see it in numerous stories as we read through the scriptures. It's common to read of good into a time of wilderness or being bad, into a time of plenty or better, a different place. And understanding this in terms of Psalm 23, I believe, is fundamental to our understanding of the topic today of having a wilderness journey. And so if we now turn to Job, the second story that we're looking at today, and you might want to, to turn that... Unlike six verses here, we've got probably the six verses outlined in 42 chapters, um, a more extensive way of looking at this this topic of suffering being in the wilderness. But interestingly, we see it follows the same pattern. If we look at the first part of Job, of uh, the first five verses certainly, uh, we could say they're a bit like verse 2 of Psalm 23. It's the sheep who've got um, uh, what they need. Job is described as having uh, divine blessing. He's got lots of children, he's got lots of sheep, he's got lots of camels, he's got lots of donkeys, he's got lots of servants. Life was good. And then as we move through the book of Job, um, in fact, 
most of the other 42 chapters very much reflect what the psalmist sums up in one verse, verse 4. So we've got 42 chapters of Job and uh, his suffering, his wilderness, being in the valley, being in the ravine, uh, finding it difficult. But much in the same way that we see in Psalms, uh, towards the end of the book of Job, uh, as we get into chapter 42, we see the conclusion. We see that Job uh, remains faithful, that his eyes have heard of um, and have seen the king. And we see that actually, the same as we see in Psalm 23, his abundance is doubled. That's how it's described as the positive plus. He's not back to where he was. He's got more sheep than he ever had, more camels than he ever had, more donkeys than he ever had, more servants than he ever had. Another story where we see this move from good um, into a wilderness, into life plus being better. There are maybe a few differences though, and that might be what we want to explore now. So in the Psalms, David clearly just... Uh, seems to imply, acknowledge that God is there. There isn't much description of God other than being the shepherd, that it's okay, that he's, he's almighty, that he's, he's leading through. Whereas in Job, and certainly as you explore the, the chapters in the middle, you find lots of questioning of God. Uh, we, 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 we start posing that question of how can God be part of this? How, how would he be leading us as a shepherd into the wilderness? It's especially difficult for us to understand in the context of Job. We see right at the beginning of this chapter about how Job is described. A man that is uh, good, upstanding, the best of all the best in the East, um, upright for God. Now, I certainly can't describe myself as that, and I would imagine most of you wouldn't probably describe yourselves like that either. And so this is difficult, and it crushes our sense of justice. Why on earth is the man that's most held up before God the person who has suffering to an extreme scale brought on him over these 42 chapters. It breaks the rules that we like to understand of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. We like to believe that we're in in control. It's sometimes described as a common theology of deed and consequence. And we see that in the Bible, that there is times when the deeds of people, uh, certainly in parts of the Old Testament, bring on consequence. But not so in this case. It's difficult to wrestle and understand with the idea that Job, who's upstanding, uh, should have such pain and suffering brought upon him. So if we look a bit into this story, uh, we see in verse 13 that Job is probably at, uh, probably the, described the height of happiness. He's, he's on a feast day. He's uh, got it all laid out. He's got his people around him. Uh, he's no doubt eating good food, drinking good wine. And it's at this point in the height of celebration that we see the pain hits hard and we get a string of people coming along uh, telling him of the, the calamities that have happened. And those calamities that occur, um, uh, there's four of them that you see described there. Two are caused by what we would maybe say are evil men, so other human beings uh, killing uh, various livestock um, and eventually uh, children. And two are caused by what your insurance policies would describe as acts of God. So fire and wind uh, uh, coming down. And I would imagine that if you were Job at this point, you would be struggling with, well, what on earth is happening here? This is, this is stuff uh, going on around me. But what we do get in Job that we don't get in, in the Psalms 
is a chance to see something that's happening outside of uh, the physical realm that we live on earth. He gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm of what's happening in heaven, uh, the greater picture, if you like. It's like watching a TV programme where you see the, 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 the scene happening and then a commentary happening over the top. And this commentary that's played out in the book of Job gives us at least some inkling into why uh, suffering's happening to Job. The first thing to see in this is that it's not actually God that is causing uh, uh, those acts. It's human beings um, and it's Satan. So it is true that God gives Satan permission because God is almighty, that he gives Satan permission to do these things, but it's actually Satan himself who, who carries out the deeds. And the reason for this occurring, it appears, is that God, uh, we don't not quite know why Satan's rocked up, but, but Satan's there and he's, he's challenging God. And what we see is God is extremely proud of Job. And Satan is not impressed with this. This is the dialogue that plays out. And God chooses this opportunity. Uh, we don't know why, and I can't explain why today, but God chooses the opportunity um, to get a victory over Satan. To say, actually, no, you're wrong. Job is a good man. He's going to stand through this. I believe in him. Satan's not impressed with this, but God gives him the opportunity uh, to go and do what he can so that uh, God's glory can shine through. In fact, we see at the end of that chapter that Pete read for us uh, that despite all of, all of this hardness, the, the wilderness that was occurring, that Job does stand firm. He rips his clothes, he gets down and he worships God. Ultimately, Satan is proved wrong. God has the victory. God is honoured through the acts of Job standing firm. I think it's important to understand contextually that Job isn't all smiley and happy. Um, actually, what you see is a man who's grieving, a man whose tears are flowing. That's important and that's okay. God's victory still shines through even in the midst of our pain and suffering uh, where we acknowledge him, but we grieve. As we move through the book of Job, and it might be one that's a difficult read, but one you want to, to read over the, the coming weeks as we, we um, uh, reflect on this, this series of being ready to resist. Uh, we see that it moves from the things around him being harmed uh, to him being harmed himself. In fact, he ends up getting a terrible disease that has boils all over his body. It's described um, in chapter 7 as pus and worms living in them and crawling out. We're not talking about a mild case of uh, measles or eczema here. This is uh, significant um, uh, pain and suffering that's coming to Job himself. And what's interesting is if you watch the dialogue play out, Satan gets given another go. So he keeps getting these opportunities to, to really test, to test Job. And I think for, for God to keep claiming that victory, that no, Job is going to stand firm. He knows... He knows Job, his servant. And one of the challenges as I was working through this talk this morning is that in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, uh, we find out his wife's response to this. So probably the post person that's closest to Job. And she says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. So we've got Job here in uh, immense pain and suffering. And uh, probably the person closest to him saying, forget about your God. And maybe there's a challenge in us for that, around when we see those who are suffering around us. Do we stand firm in our beliefs? Or do we suggest that maybe we should look to, uh, to other humans to, to sort this out, rather than putting our trust in God? 
Job does, however, stand firm. So much like Psalm 23, we see in this story of Job uh, a, a glimpse of this same pattern. Being in a good place, then being in a bad place, and eventually becoming better. We understand a bit that there's a spiritual realm that's playing out. We don't know why, but we know from what's uh, commentated here that it is. And we see a glimpse behind the scenes, uh, which helps us with that. But Job continues to worship anyway, which can be really hard, but he does remain faithful. And so as we turn to ourselves, what does it mean for us today? Well, I think we could probably all describe life as being a journey uh, that has a start and we know that one day there will be a finish. And if we believe in the resurrection and what Matthew took us through two weeks ago in the victory being won, uh, we believe that there is better to come. But right now today, it might well be that you're struggling, that you're in that wilderness place. Some of you will know that my, um, my professional background is that of a paramedic. Uh, I don't do it much anymore. I tend to do management. Um, I'm overpaid, according to the Sunday Times this morning. Um, but in my time on the front line as a paramedic, I worked in, uh, in some hard places in the country. I started my life off in the London Ambulance Service. And in terms of who I went to see on a daily basis... Uh, it was people in the midst of this pain and suffering. I went to uh, relatives who'd come home to find their partner had hung themselves. I went to children who died with parents not knowing what to do. Uh, I went to people who had long-term conditions who uh, were at the end of their life. And I used to question, well, what's going on here? And I can tell you one of the top things you hear in the midst of, of that pain and suffering is why, why, why me from grieving people? It's difficult to come to grips with that. And I tell you, one of the most difficult times of year to work is Christmas. And the reason Christmas is difficult to work is because, a bit like Job, you're in that feast mode. It's supposed to be good. Um, in fact... Uh, for people who are in, in good celebration mode and then pain hits them hard, uh, it can be a really difficult situation to walk into. And they're left with these same questions of why. I don't think I can answer for you today um, why that occurs, but we have seen a glimpse here in Psalms, uh, Psalm 23 and in Job, that maybe something spiritual is happening, but regardless of the why, that there is a journey that we're all on that we're moving through that place, that for whatever reason the wilderness has hit. And as we start to understand it in that context of a journey and knowing that God is still with us, that he's the shepherd that's leading us through that, we can have some hope and some faith and some um, belief that there is better to come. In terms of an activity that maybe you would like to do this coming week, um, one way of considering this topic is to take a piece of paper and for those of you who are way more arty than me you could do it much better um, and draw yourself a line that is the journey of your life so it starts from when you're born um, up to where you are now and you draw a line, it could be a squiggle it could be a straight line 
And I'd suggest you go back and you look through your life and you put above the line the times of plenty and below the time the line the, the times of uh, wilderness. Um, no doubt you'll all have experienced this. I can certainly give you uh, the dates, the years, even the day in some incidents where, where that pain struck, where it felt hard and where you were below the line. And the reason for mapping it out is actually encourages us to reflect on um, uh, the times of plenty, the times when it's been good, but also to consider that life is a journey, and maybe you're in the midst of wilderness now. And if you consider the line in the middle, and you might want to colour it in, is actually God, is the line doesn't move. You might go up and down and around the line, um, but actually the line, the faithfulness of God leading us on that journey, is the same and constant. And it might be that you want to take some time out to reflect, to pray, to take yourself off to a place uh, with your picture, to consider that, and to thank God for being faithful on that journey. So often our sense of justice doesn't seem to quite add up. It doesn't help with our logic here around this. But maybe that little glimpse of us being on a journey helps us a bit more to understand that it's not all about balance and good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But actually we're going to a better place and God takes us on that journey. That Satan is in this world and that bad things do happen. And in some cases, God allows that. But he is almighty and knows what's going on over the top. So in conclusion, a journey that we see played out in Psalm and in Job, and no doubt in our lives, of being in a good place, a bad place or a wilderness, and eventually moving to a place that is better. It might be that today you're feeling in that bad place and as we move through the rest of the service might be your opportunity to come before God in that place. It might be that that place is going to hit this afternoon, that you're in a good place now, but wilderness is coming. And let's remember that Satan's aim ultimately is to destroy our joy in God. Satan's ultimate aim is to destroy our joy of God. And as we look through the Bible, you'll see that he uses two different tactics to do this. And the tactics are pain and pleasure. So he uses pain to make us start to feel that God is powerless or hostile. And we cry out, why God? Why have you forsaken me? And he uses pleasure because it makes us feel that God is superfluous, that we don't need God anymore because it feels great. And I guess as you map out your life, you might find that where where things are really good, sometimes we move away from God. And where things are really bad, we cry out and we wonder what's happening. Why has God forsaken us? But ultimately, the challenge and the task for us, like Job, is to continue to magnify God in those situations of pain and suffering. To stand firm against the enemy, against Satan, so that our joy of God is not destroyed. And we see in uh, 1 Peter, chapter 5, towards the end of that in chapter 8, you'll read that it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, 
will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So we see in 1 Peter that we should be on our guard, that actually exploring these topics, which we often don't touch on much in church, uh, is important. Our task is to be like Job, to affirm the absolute sovereignty of God, whether we be in the good state or the bad wilderness state. To raise our arms, maybe, in praise. But we also see in Job that in the midst of suffering, it's absolutely okay to grieve, to be on our knees, to let the tears flow. What we should do on that journey, however, is continue to recognise the sovereignty of God, trust in his goodness and let him be our joy and our treasure. For even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear no evil. For God is with us. He's our rod and our staff and our comforter. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that wherever you are, wherever we are today in our journeys, that you are constant. That you guide us, that you lead us, that you are sovereign. And Lord, for those of us who find ourselves in that desert place, in that wilderness this morning, would you come and be our comforter? Would you come alongside us? And Lord, we thank you that the victory is won, that we don't need to fear evil and the, and the devil. For ultimately, we know that we are going to a better place where we will spend eternity with you, feasting at your table. In your name. Amen.